I'm Master Sergeant Thomas Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of the Spartan News. For this episode, we listened to soldiers to find out what they had concerns or questions about. Here to help us answer those questions and address those concerns is Command Sergeant Major Corey Cush, the Senior Enlisted Leader for Task Force Spartan and the 42nd Infantry Division. Thank you for being with us today, Sergeant Major. Much appreciated. It's a pleasure to be here. We've talked before about this, and you indicated that you go around and you speak to the soldiers daily from around the task force, whether it's here or over at the other camps. And I'm sure you've been bombarded along with the commanding general and uh, questions ranging from promotions to COVID-19. So we went out and listened to soldiers about what their concerns were and uh, what are the things, some of the things they wanted to know about, and we asked them to bring those questions to us here. So let's get started with our first question. Sure. First up, it's probably the most common question you and the commanding general get, and it's when are the barbershops and the gyms going to reopen? You know, first, before I start answering the question, I want to just cover a couple of things. One is uh, thank you for doing this because I think it's much needed for the force. Um, it's very important for the soldiers to know why things are happening and when and to be informed because when they don't, uh, they'll start creating their own truths. And uh, that's where rumors get started and uh, all kind of situations um, leading from false rumors to misunderstandings happen. So uh, I think this is very important, and I applaud the PAO for doing it. Well, I appreciate it, Sergeant Major. Yeah, we've heard some rumors that, you know, everything from the gym's going to open up, you know, next week. We've heard that for, like, the last month, yeah. you know, from soldiers in the chow hall and whatnot. And it's like, you know, you tell them, hold off, hold off, you know. Let's let's get the answers right from, from the leadership. Yep. So your question was again? <laughs> <laughs> So, like we were talking about, I attended one of the luncheons that you had with the ADA folks. Yep. And first question was, you know, when when is the barbershop and when are the gyms going to open back up? Everything is condition-based. Our number one mission is to protect the force, right? So, as much as the soldiers want the barbershops and the gyms and everything open today or yesterday, we got to make sure that we take the precautionary measures to protect the force. We have a phased plan to open up all services that got shut down. It was probably the second or third week of March that basically everything that we know from an MWR function to a gym function to, you know, the barbershops all got shut down. And uh, for the past three months, uh, we've been doing without. But right now, we're starting to see that the number of cases in Kuwait specifically have, is slowly declining and um, for those who, of you that do not know uh, Kuwait was on a total lockdown and curfew um, since uh, early May and that got lifted on the uh, 30th a week after Ramadan. The curfew still in place it's now been reduced uh, from not a 24-hour curfew to an 18-hour curfew so that's phase one uh, so from uh, basically 2100 hours to 0600, no citizen can move throughout uh, the country of Kuwait. The military can move, but there has to be a specific mission associated with it. And of course, we have to wear our masks throughout. So to answer your question directly, I'll just do the barbershops first. The barbershops, we have a five-phase plan, and the barbershops are actually in phase one. It was amazing when things first closed down, everybody's number one item was the gyms. And then the barbershops took over. So uh, with that being said, we do want to bring the morale back to the troops. We are prioritizing the barbershops. 
Let me tell you the steps that we have to do to get the barbershops open. We have to bring the contractors who do the haircuts back on post because those are contractors that live off post. They're actually um, Kuwaiti citizens who are uh, under government contract uh, to provide services for us. Everything from AP services to food to critical support operations on Arafjan. So the employees or the contractors that were doing specifically haircuts have been off post since the shut everything down. And we can't just bring them on post and then let them start cutting people's hair. As I stated before, Kuwait has been at a very heightened level of COVID. And you know, as of today, uh, statistically, they have about over 34,000 cases of COVID positive um, people with uh, approximately 800 uh, that have uh, uh, perished. So we have to do it in a very constructive manner that protect the force. Starting last week, what we did was we went out and found those contractors. We brought them back on post. And um, we didn't get all of them, but we got uh, in total of 13 uh, contractors. So we're going to quarantine them for 14 days and make sure that they are not COVID positive. And after the 14th day before they get released, we'll test them and make sure that, number one, they, they don't have COVID. And uh, number two, there's no type of symptoms so they don't pass it on to our soldiers. Once that's finished, we, we have to do an inspection of the, the barbershops and make sure everything is in place. And we have to develop a system, right? Because it can't go back to the way we went to the barbershops prior to this COVID situation happening. So we have to put a place, a system that schedule appointments. Uh, we have to put in place a, a system that create social distancing so we don't have any more than one person in a barbershop at any one time. And we anticipate by the third week or fourth week of June, the barbershops will be open. Well, that's good information, Sergeant Major. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, first and foremost, as you said, we have to protect the force. And we have a mission, after all. I assume that that also applies to all the other functions as well, the USO, the MWR. All those yeah. things have to come in in a phased approach to make sure we, we continue to protect the force. Yeah, so that's correct, right? So I'm going to tell you as part of really phase one, we're, we are going to open up some MWR functions. Um, and it's going to be not the same MWR where everybody goes in. There's a function where you can read, you know, to your spouse, your kid, or whatever, and it gets recorded and sent back to them. Well, we're going to open that back up in part of phase one. So before the end of June, that'll be open up. Soldiers will schedule appointments to go there. Uh, they'll get to do the recordings and get it sent to them. That's great. The few times we were able to go to the MWR before they closed it all down, the place was always, always packed. There was always somebody in there. So another question, and I know people are seeing things back home and getting information back home from their families, and in each of the 54 states and territories are different, and, and there are differing opinions from different health organizations to different states and whatnot as to the effectiveness of the masks. So what we've heard is some soldiers are asking, why are we still wearing the masks? Can you shed some light on that? Sure. So I, I like to use an analogy in regards to um, listening to different sources. So. If you are a soldier, and I'm just going to use a soldier specifically, and you're going to airborne school, 
and you're going to jump out of a plane and you have a parachute, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the soldier who is just getting qualified? Or are you going to listen to the jump master who's done it a hundred times and has the expertise and the badge to go with it? And I think 99.99% of us is going to listen to the jump master. And if 100% of us is going to listen to it if we have to jump ourselves, right? You better believe it. <laughs> so with that being said, um, the Center of Disease Control, CDC, has put out these guidelines about a mask and is, has given um, the reason why it's effective and why soldiers and uh, civilians should be wearing, wearing masks. In addition, the Department of Defense, DOD, has put out guidance uh, to follow C CDC's um, recommendation associated with it. So again, going back to the analogy, um, the, the experts at CDC have probably been doing this as long as I've been alive. And they have certain expertise and knowledge, and there's a group, not just one individual, they're a group of individuals who have um, collaborated together to come out with these recommendations. And again, this is to protect the population and to protect the, uh, the soldiers. So what I would say to soldiers who say, okay, they're doing this in the States, or I read this on Facebook or this on Instagram, um, are those people certified in giving those recommendations? And if, even if they are certified, are they more certified than the Centers of Disease Control, who is, that's all they do. So based upon that, uh, we're going to follow CDC's um, guidelines as well as Department of Defense, who have mandated that we do this. Well, like I said, the bottom line, the, the word you use, mandated. Yep. We have orders from higher to use the masks. And Roger. bottom line, whether you agree with it or not, that's right. our guidance. We move forward. Yep, and as good soldiers, we follow directions. Cool. So another question we've had that seems to be on the minds of soldiers are promotions. So as we've seen, guidance came out from the Department of the Army waiving certain requirements uh, when it comes to PME because of the COVID travel restrictions. And we've also seen memos from NGB that are similar to that. But we also walked into guidance that was from Arsen about when you can go to school when you can't go to school based on deployment time and, and, and how much time you would have left upon returning. Can you shed some light on how all that guidance has been put together when, when we're talking about promotions um, here while the division is deployed? First and foremost, it has been very confusing, right? Um, and I, I try to elaborate to soldiers that, you know, we don't have a a playbook or script for this. You know, nobody in a billion years would have thought COVID would have affected or any type of disease would have came and affected the force the way it's done. So um, the Department of the Army has had to basically make exception to policies and on the fly, right? Let, let's talk about your specific question around promotion. So the Army is made up of three uh, core components, right? Compo 1, Compo 2, Compo 3. Compo 1 is active duty. Compo 2 is the National Guard. Compo 3 is the U.S. Army Reserves. And Compo 1 and Compo th uh, 3 are kind of have the same policies and guidelines. Um, Compo 2 gets most of their guidelines from 
the National Guard Bureau. So the way um, the promotions are set are different uh, depending on what compo that you are. Uh, with that being said, if you're a National Guardsman, each state is kind of like a mini army, right? It has a certain amount of allocations based upon the size of the state, and it has um, a certain amount of promotions they can do at one time based upon their force structure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a state such as New York is a big state, and we have uh, more opportunities because our force structure is bigger. Uh, but you could go to a state such as Rhode Island, uh, which is a small state and uh, has less than a thousand, and you don't have as many promotions, right? Specifically, the guidance, and there's a lot of confusion around, oh, so major, I heard that uh, we don't have to do AOC or SOC, and that's not true. So you have to go to uh, all PME schools to get promoted. Now, with that being said, too, there are waivers depending on what compo that you are. If you combo one or three and you have a slot available for you to get promoted, there is a waiver for you to get promoted to that spot. Combo one and combo three. If you combo two, there is no waiver. You still have to go to school before you get promoted. So let's use combo two as an example. I'm a specialist, E4 corporal. I have an E5 slot waiting for me. Before I can get pen E5, I must finish BLC. Once I finish BLC, I can immediately get pen E5. I'm combo one or three. I have an E5 slot available for me. I can get promoted without going to BLC, but I have a certain time frame to finish the BLC course. So that's the difference. Since COVID has happened, BLC has now gone to a distance learning format as well as MLC. And uh, there's certain portions of the Sergeant Majors Academy that has now been in a distance learning format. So you still have to go to school in order to get promoted. And the last thing I'll say with that is that if you were in a reserve seat for ALC, SOC, MLC, and you got sent home from school, or you didn't go because COVID happened, then there is a, a waiver for you to get promoted uh, because that was no fault of your own. But um, some soldiers think that, okay, COVID happened and I got delayed from going to school, but did you have a reserve seat? Not a wait seat, a reserve seat. And if you didn't have a reserve seat, uh, then there's no waiver for you. So hopefully that answers the question. Oh, I think it does, Sergeant Major. Still talking about schools, some of the soldiers have asked or have been inquiring about how the basic leader course slots here in Kuwait work and basically how that OML is, is derived. Can you answer some of that? Great question, because uh, that's kind of one of the, the top five questions that I always get asked. So the order of merit list is put together, and depending on the MACOM, which is the major command, everybody has a little bit different formula, but it's kind of all the same. So it's based upon a, f a few things, right? One is data promotion. One is your rank. If uh, the soldier has the same data rank, uh, same rank, uh, then there are other variables such as 
PT score, weapon score, and those type of things that distinguish where that person sits on the OML. So let's just take it from the top. The, the Army, uh, during the surge, they waived people going to school before they got promoted. And we re-implemented it back in 2016 with a program called STEP, right? Select, Train, Educate, Promote. So before you can get promoted, you got to get educated, and that means going to your PME course. What happened is that we promoted a lot of people who became stagnant, and they didn't go to the, to the school. And quite frankly, we've promoted people from E5 to E7 in, in some cases without even doing PME. And, you know, bringing back step, that was supposed to stop all of that. And I bring all that up to say that we have E5s that are stagnant, and meaning they got promoted before that system came out, and they're already E5. So they get top priority. They have to go to school first because they're E5s. They need to get their education before that. Then the next order of merit is corporals. Because corporals, in order to get pinned corporal, you have to have a position available for you. So if you've been made corporal, then you're next on the order of merit list. And then it goes by when you made corporal, right? So if I made corporal on June 1st, versus somebody made corporal on June 15th, then I have the priority of the list. After that, then it becomes the specialists. Based upon date of rank, they get the first choice. Then based upon, again, all those other variables that I told you about associated with this. So that's kind of how the old mail is put together. And unfortunately, uh, there is not a plethora of a thousand seats where we can all send people to, to school. In theater, we have uh, a schoolhouse that is set up to accommodate 200 soldiers per class. And we run a class every month, except for one month, and I believe is a December to January uh, transition period. So there's 11 classes, you do the math, there's about 1,200 soldiers that we can get promoted to E5. And we're not the only command here. And I mean, we're yeah. not the only command, yeah. So when, when you look at the allocations, and that's a good point that you brought up, the theater or the schoolhouse can hold 200. They give each MACOM or GOCOM, General Office of Command, a certain amount of seats. And those seats then get divvied down to the downtrace units. For example, Tassel Spartan has approximately eight to 9,000 soldiers. And we have multiple brigades within there, right? So you have to then take that allocation that we give and divvy it down to those different brigades. We divvy it down based upon the size of their formation. Well, that should answer the question. We had one soldier ask us this question, and basically involves soldiers going to Iraq or going to Afghanistan. And I know one of our missions as Task Force Spartan is to provide that source of personnel in case they need to backfill folks in, in other um, areas of responsibility. Is it possible for a soldier who's with Task Force Spartan to actually be able to go to Iraq or Afghanistan? It all depends. It is possible. Uh, we have sent soldiers to both theaters. But, you know, I, I get it. Um, soldiers, they want to be in a fight, one. Two, um, soldiers want to have a combat patch. And I understand that. It, it, it is a, I think, an ultimate feeling to know that you can say that hey, I have a combat patch, I served my country, track and all. 
But unless there's a true emergency uh, to get those soldiers there, we can't just forward deploy it just to say, hey, we got to get you on a, um, as a sec for there or whatever. There are certain missions that we can send soldiers to, and we will send soldiers to, but it has to be mission-specific, not just sending someone just so they can get a combat patch. So let's talk about pay issues. Reserve component soldiers always seem to have a lot of you know, issues with pay. I don't know what the reason why is, whether it's going from one title or to another title, this set of orders or that set of orders. And we've talked to some soldiers that have been having pay and entitlement issues. What's the command doing about these pay and entitlement issues? Um, great question, and again, that, that's one of the major factors around morale, right? If, if your pay don't look right, uh, you're not going to be happy. Let me tell you why there's pay problems, in some cases, not all. The fact of the matter is that we, as an Army, operate under different databases depending on what compo that you're on, right? And because of that, uh, it creates problems. When we switch from one status to another, and while we still have to input statuses from that other compo into the status that we're currently on. And things get convoluted in that process. I will say that not because it's intentional, uh, but there are errors that happen. So because we have these different databases and pay systems, it causes these problems and issues that the soldiers have. Now, the Army has come up with IPSE, uh, which is a, a centralized database, an integrated pay system that will centralize all things into one. So in the future, we won't have those same problems. But to answer your second part of your question of what we're doing with it, and it, each one of them is an individual case, right? So I can't broad brush and say this is what we're doing with it specifically, but I can say it has gotten escalated. Uh, I'll use the 30th ABCT as one of the issues uh, where they had uh, soldiers come from uh, three different states, from Ohio, South Carolina, North Carolina, and, you know, they went to NTC, and then they changed status from there, and there were soldiers with everything from, you know, they wasn't getting uh, tax, uh, they were still getting tax taken out, to uh, they weren't getting certain entitlements with BAH, Mm -hmm. and um, all of that. So uh, I contacted the state directly. We've arranged weekly conference calls, and we're working the eaches until that number is zero. So, um, you know, uh, hear soldiers loud and clear. I know there's a big motivation factor, but what I will guarantee is that every entitlement and every benefit that you're supposed to get, you will get it eventually. What would your advice be to soldiers when it comes to pay? I think, you know, like everything in the Army, you have to raise it up to chain of command, right? Um, I, I would first inform our first-line leader of the issue, and every company has a S1, G1, and I would get in contact with them directly. They should be able to explain or fix your issue, uh, and if that doesn't happen, then you use your chain of command. You, you go to the first sergeant or the company commander, and you keep escalating it all the way up. Awesome. So when it comes to school seats, Sergeant Major, we talked about due to no fault of their own, soldiers losing school seats because of the travel restrictions. And this and it applies here as well as back in CONUS. What are we going to do about those school seats? That's an interesting question because we didn't lose any school seats. 
it just was pause. So, you know, there's no getting back that month that we lost, because we only lost one month, by the way, 200-some soldiers in theater going to school. However, when they go back, if they didn't go to school here, they will be prioritized based upon the OML to, to go to school. So it's a simple math problem, and I, I try to explain this to soldiers, right? You can have 80 soldiers that need to go to school, but you only have 40 seats to go to school to, and you have to wait until your turn is next to go to school. So specifically, I will say is this. If it's a task force Spartan a soldier or a division soldier specifically, they won't really miss out of not going to school. They may have to go to school when they get back uh, to New York, uh, but they will not miss out. Well, I will say, which I don't think people realize, especially the soldiers here, is that if you're a compo two soldier, you have more opportunity to go to school than they do back at home. Because guess what? They're not going to school at the RTIs in any of the states right now. RTIs are closed. And slowly but surely, they're trying to open up the RTIs to get that. But they're trying to do it in a responsible manner. So on active duty, an active component before you go to certain schools, you got to quarantine two weeks before you can even go to school. Those are facts. I don't know if we can do that same thing in the uh, reserve component because you can't take four weeks off your job or school to go to uh, a PME school. So they're still trying to figure it out. So the bottom line up front is that the soldiers here have more opportunity to go to school uh, than the soldiers back home. We talked earlier about the rumor mill. I want to readdress that. We've actually heard some rumors from soldiers that are, that are hearing that, that our redeployment may be delayed or that be, because of these COVID restrictions and whatnot, that our, the units that are going to come replace us can't get the training and it may delay us. What do you have to say about that? I will say that we don't officially know when our riptoid will be. We have it projected in November some time frame. But what I've been telling soldiers is this, is that we got put on pause for about a month and a half, two months. And with that, the whole army was put on pause. So the assembly line stopped. And we're still trying to, now that everything has been opened back up, we're trying to process things that were backlogged. So with that being said, there are many units that got backlogged during that process. And they have, it's like the, the first in, first out formula, right? They have to go through their process. And there's two mobilization centers, you know, in Fort Hood and Fort Bliss. And they need to go through that process in order to deploy. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody officially knows. But I think that we will be delayed a push to the right. How far to the right, I do not know. I'm of the mind frame of if we get home before Christmas, it's a Christmas gift. And I think that way because, um, you know, I use this analogy a lot. If somebody tells me I had to run two miles and I get to the two-mile marker and then they say, oh, you got to run another mile, I would be very angry. May not finish. If somebody told me I have to run two miles and I, in the mile and a half they said, you're finished, I'd be super happy. So prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, variables in this formula to get us out on time. Uh, but 
you know, logically, I, I think uh, we will be pushed to the right because every unit uh, who came before us that's ripping out is all leaving two, three, four weeks after their projected rip time. So I would say uh, the same applies for us, but I don't officially know. It's a good way to look at it. It's, you know, not to be pessimistic, but you know, sometimes you have to you have to plan for that worst case scenario. Yep. So I think that's a good way to look at it. That was the last soldier question, but given recent events back home, I wanted to give you an opportunity to put out your thoughts on on the recent events that have been taking place with civil unrest and the protests, along with COVID-19 impacting us here and, and back home. And I know that some of the soldiers are concerned about their families, how this is all coming about. What would you like to say to the soldiers about everything? I would just say 2020 has been one heck of a year. Um, and that's an understatement. You know, between COVID and now the civil unrest, in my uh, 50 years on this planet, um, I've, I, I've not seen anything of the kind. You know, with, with COVID, you know, specifically, I, I will say that the National Guard has done a tremendous job and responding to the citizens throughout the country, you know, specific to New York, where from day one, soldiers were activated, uh, left their jobs in school, came on a mission. They tested citizens. They delivered food to citizens. They um, made runs and built up hospitals for the citizens of New York. And those efforts are, in my eyes, equal to efforts of heroes on the battlefield. So, you know, tremendous job. I, I couldn't be more proud to be a National Guard soldier. That's on the COVID front. We're not out of the woods yet. There is, uh, even though the numbers are decreasing, it's still out there. And as I tell soldiers all the time, from my foxhole, until we find a vaccine, we, we have to continue to be vigilant and social distancing and make sure uh, that we protect each other. You know, God forbid, because uh, a lot of us don't even know if we're COVID positive because it's asymptomatic in a lot of cases and you take it to your parents or your grandparents and you know, you can literally kill them. Say up to 80% of people can, have, yeah. can be asymptomatic. Yeah, so you, you gotta be very careful on that. So, you know, again, uh, I would stress that we not take our foot off the pedal, don't take our guard down, and it's better to be overcautious than undercautious. In regards to civil unrest, what I will say is this, we are all the same. And this uniform, the flag, everything that most of us serve our country for, we can't just talk it, we have to live it. And as an African-American male, I will tell you, uh, I am very angry, I am very upset in a lot of ways, but I hold no hostility towards no one. I would die for you. I would jump in front of a bullet and make sure that you don't take a bullet. And I would do that for anybody else in this uniform because I love you as you are my own brothers and sisters. That's the way I see it. And I think we all have to treat each other the same way. There is systemic racism in this country and we have to acknowledge it. And the sooner we acknowledge it, then we can begin to heal and develop a solution to fix the problem. For us to say there's nothing or whatever, that is just being uninformed and un uneducated.
what, what I will say is this, is that um, I think the peaceful protests are, are good because it brings awareness. And I think 90% of what you see is peaceful protests. Unfortunately, we have 10% of people who are idiots, and they are rioters and people who are looting uh, who make the situation bad. But you can't paintbrush everybody to be that same people because that's only 10% that's doing it. The other 90% is really just peaceful protesting. And under the Constitution, we are allowed to do that as citizens. So with that being said, I think that we have to effectively listen to what people are saying have some form of empathy associated with the situation that's going on. I don't think anybody who has watched that tape doesn't have some sense of emotion. And to be honest with you, I can name in the last 10 years multiple um, situations such as that have been caught on tape and nothing has happened to any officer associated with it. So the one thing, and I said this to the CG the other day, uh, as we had this honest conversation about civil unrest and race relations. The one thing I love about the military, um, and I love this uniform, is that we have accountability. At the end of the day, the CG being a two-star, if he did an infraction, if he called me a racial name, there's accountability associated with that. And there is a system in place that would probably either reduce him in rank or his career would be done with. I think we need the same thing in our um, police force of some type of accountability. And once there's accountability and people know they can't quote unquote get away with something, they'll think three and four times before doing it. So those are my thoughts on that. And I'll let, the last thing I'll say is that it's a time that we all need to talk and have that honest conversation. People are scared to have the conversation, and I get it. It's a very sensitive subject. It's uncomfortable. And it's For a lot of people, it's uncomfortable. It is, and I get it. I get it, but I, I, think, I think that's the only way you move forward because what happens is if you don't have it, it gets pinned in. And then because you don't talk, then you develop your own thought patterns and your own uh, perceptions, and that festers and it causes more problems than it solves. And especially in this uniform, we can't afford to be separated at all. We have to remain together because we have an enemy trying to kill us. So I would just say, you know, I, as I say to all the leaders, don't be afraid to have the conversation. And at the very least, the very least, ask, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? And that shows some form of empathy. And you may get a conversation from that alone and effectively listen to that what that person say and then you give your your um view on it and i guarantee you most of the time when you guys both walk away or that formation walks away people feel better all right well, sorry major thank you very much and this wraps up this episode but i want to thank you for joining us again and giving us great information some good input and a lot to think about going forward well, again, thank you. I appreciate this. And as I stated before, I think it's very important that we talk to our soldiers, tell them the whys behind the certain things, and feel free to uh, tap me on the shoulder anytime to do these things. We can't be afraid to have that conversation. Sure. We've got to talk. Yep. Thanks, honey. Thank All you right, very much. Thank you. Cool. I want to thank our audience for taking the time to be with us. 
Please remember to share our podcast with your family, friends, and coworkers. Search us on iTunes under The Spartan News or find us on dividshub.net. That's D-V-I-D-S-H-U-B dot net. Thank you.